0: So uh, I think we're we're rolling. So welcome to My Money My Career. Um, it's Sunday, the fourth of December, and as usual, I'm here with Stephen Curtis. I'm Daniel Curran, and we're going to go through the Sunday papers, do our usual recap of the week, and see what's going on. What's uh, what big is happening between now and Christmas. It's um, On the sort of business perspective, it seems to be a reasonably slow week in the paper. So I think we're going to focus more on the politics side of things because there's actually some really interesting stuff going on. Um, the first thing that that shocked me this morning when I opened up the paper is a, a, sort, of a sort of semi-misleading headline that says Bertie Ahern in challenge to Fianna Fáil leader. Um, I, in my stupor from last night, read Bertie Ahern to challenge Fianna Fáil leader, um, which kind of worried me a little bit, the fact that people could even... Kind of countenance, uh, Bertie coming back in in any kind of leadership capacity, but it certainly seems like his popularity hasn't waned um, in in any great way, and and there's no doubt it it, it seems like he's uh, he, he's definitely making some moves. Michal Martin is is clearly trying to throw cold water on the fact that he you know Bertie might make a comeback. He knows as well as everyone else that there's an awful lot of Fena Fall supporters out there who you know are willing to sort of turn a blind eye to uh, to, to what went on because of their. I suppose they do have a blind spot for 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 Bertie he's is he one of the most loved politicians despite all his foibles. Yeah,
1: I think Bertie's an interesting character because he's he's definitely one of the most loved politicians Ireland's ever seen. The only thing is he was last loved back in about 2007 and it's now nearly 2017 and that's a bit of a problem. Um and I think generally if you look at look at the sort of what's happened in the last 10 years if you look at everything Fianna Fáil has been trying to do Bertie's pretty toxic because what they've been trying to basically do is say, "Yeah, we we ruined the country, but we're, we're sort of we've changed our spots." Um, and Bertie coming back would sort of slightly suggest otherwise, um, and I think that's a big problem for them. And I think it's it's not necessarily Bertie coming back and what he's going to do because he's he's clearly not going to do anything. He's not going to have a role in the party. He's not going to be on the Fianna of all or at corridor. He's not going to be running for election. But it's the optics of the whole thing. It's the optics of. Old, old, the old style, Fianna Fail property developers, back back pocket kind of job. That, whether it's true or not, is irrelevant. It's sort of the optics of the whole thing. And I think Bertie um, epitomises everything that people think is wrong with the country and that went wrong with the country back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. And the fact that he's back lurking around, getting front page headlines, is not good for Fianna Fail. They won't be happy.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that, and I think. You know, I think Fianna Fáil have obviously seen over the last say two to three years a big resurgence in their support. They're they're sort of up around the twenty four twenty five percent mark. You know, alongside Fianna Gael at the moment. And um, I think this is because of the fact that there was always a huge core base of Fianna Fáil voters who who just couldn't bring themselves to vote for them the first time around in in, in two thousand and eight or two thousand and ten, um, and then again uh, last time around. And I think now, you know. They're starting to think, well, you know, maybe we can go back to Fianna Fáil in the next election. The big mistake that I think Fianna Fáil made was really not clearing out all of the old. I think the fact that Michal Martin is still there, he's very much a relic of the of the, of the the Bertie Ahern era. I think they really should have done a better job, sort of a la Sinn Féin. I hate to give um, Sinn Féin too much credit, but, you know, they needed to do the Sinn Féin um, you know model of bringing in a lot of young, fresh faces... You know, good speakers, you know, and give them positions of power within the party. So when people do go to vote uh, for Fianna Fáil next time around, you know, you're not looking at the Micheál Martins and the Willie O'Dees of the world. You're actually looking at some new, fresh faces that you can say, well, look, these are the people who are taking the party forward. And I think you know you can clearly see the threat that Bertie Ahern poses to the to because of the fact that you know he can he can legitimately say well look you know why why are you not having me back but you're happy enough to have Hall leading the party, um I think you know they would have like let's say they had a new person in the in the leadership role who wasn't necessarily involved you know to the to the extent that Michal was they could sort of say well look take the moral high ground and say look we've moved on as a party but I think Bertie can at this stage say well as I say you know. If 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 um if you're happy to have me why not have me?
1: Yeah, I, I think actually I think the big problem for Fianna Fall is that y you, you're right in everything you say, but the problem is who? Get rid of Meehaul and who do they bring in? Because unlike Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael, which I think we're gonna talk about shortly, there isn't a coterie of fellas coming up behind him. There is no Simon Coveneys, there is no Leo Veradker, there isn't even a Francis Fitzgerald really. Um, and other than, I don't know, who, who would you install as the leader? And I think that's the problem for them. I think they're, they're too afraid to take a punt on an unknown. You could, like, there's, there's some competent people, undoubtedly. Um, Dara Leary and Mayo being one and there's others. But I don't, I just don't know Who? And there's no natural successor to Michal Martin. And Michal Martin is a fellow that's been knocking around for 20 years, 30 years. He's been in cabinet in the height of all the carnage that unfolded. And the big problem for Michal, Michal does not want to see Bertie turning up because it reminds everyone this fellow was, was around when the country got blown into obliteration. And by the way, so is the fellow that's still in charge. And that's not, he doesn't want that because he has worked fastidiously for the last eight years to change his view, change everyone's view of him. And Bertie turning up as in Harry, I'm here to play, I don't know what he said, something about whatever small small role locally. That's not the point. The point is he's back, and Mihal doesn't want that. And it's a big problem for them. And Fianna Fáil's problem fundamentally is they don't have any natural successor to Mihal Martin, so the party doesn't seem to be able to get past the past. And there's all sorts of hobos biting at their heels. And um, you've got Sinn Fein sort of increasingly trying to occupy this semi-sensible opposition position. Um, It doesn't always work for them, but sometimes it does. Sometimes they do sort of say, well, we're sort of the party of sensible opposition. Uh, There's also the hard left, which gathers up votes on just, you know, populism, basically. Um, And Fianna Fáil are kind of increasingly left being like, well, they're like the other crowd, a la Fine Gael, but they don't seem to be as competent, and that's a problem for them.
0: Yeah, I think in terms of Sinn Féin, the interesting thing there is I think they've realised that they've had to mature as a party and become, to an extent, um, a sensible opposition party, which is very difficult because they've built their, they've built their base on pure populism and, and just opposing everything. And, having, and I think they're starting to realise that if they want to go past the 15% mark, they're going to have to start appealing to the middle. And that's opened a vacuum with all the, the hard left who've actually come in and sort of eaten their lunch a little bit.
1: Yeah, but I think I think the political Viagra for Sinn Fein is going to be when they get rid of Jerry. Because I uh, there's a lot of people that just won't vote for, for Sinn Fein because Jerry's the leader. Because as far as a lot of people are concerned, Jerry's a terrorist. And when they get rid of Jerry, I think then they could really motor. And you, you put someone. Because they have competent people. Like Mary MacDonald mm-hmm. is competent. Pierce Doherty, competent. Um, and there's others there too coming up. And they have, they have a string of what appear to be, anyway, relatively competent senators and councillors that could go and win all seats. And if they get rid of Jerry, I think people will start voting for them. And that's really dangerous for Fianna Fáil. Um, and it, it, it arguably changes the game a bit. Because we've had this sort of two party two party and, and the other system. Um, based on the old, sort of, effectively the old civil war lines. But what is the difference between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael? I don't know. There isn't really any. But hardly. There is none, really. And I think that, you know, Sinn Fein obviously knows that there's an opportunity there. The question is when they when they get their act together and um, when, and get rid of Jerry because I mean even yesterday the Sinn Féin did what, what I think was a very very good idea they had a conference somewhere for um, women in the party great idea encourage women into politics good idea uh, nothing better couldn't think anything better but what did I see on Twitter Jerry reciting bleeding poetry at the at the at the conference get rid of him and get someone get Mary give it to Mary Lou or give it to Pierce and they'd they'd make a fist of it that's a
0: big problem for Fianna Fail. So I suppose the the team so far has been uh, out with the old and in with the new. And that leads us into what I think is the big story of the week, which is uh, Leo Varadkar saying he's backed by 30 TDs in a succession battle for the leadership of Fianna Gale. Really, really interesting stuff um, coming out now. It's pretty much a two-horse race between himself and Simon Coveney. And it's very interesting that there's just starting to, you know, a, a few... Sort of bitchy comments are starting to emerge. Uh, Coveney coming out saying if 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 Leo spent less time buying people coffees and offering them ministries, um, and more time running his own shop, I think he'd uh, he, he'd do an awful lot better. Um, really, really interesting stuff. It's clear that they're both kind of setting out their stall here, and and I think you know the 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 the, the big thing also was is, is Enda trying to hang on for the Pope coming in August 2018, which I think realistically, I think if you if you went to the people and asked them do they want end to hanging around for another year and a half I don't necessarily think anyone does and I think you know as much as he wants to hang on to power I think maybe the best thing for the party might be a heave and it might be someone like Varadkar leading us into the next general election I think that's going to be really important for the party and I think you know this could be the time I think if, if Leo has enough support maybe a heave should be done
1: yeah, I think I think there's a few things going on in Fine Gael at the moment. I think obviously, first of all, there's a lot of posturing going on between Leo and Simon Coveney. and in the background there's sort of Francis Fitzgerald there as the as the anointed one. Um, as far as Zend End is concerned, I think that that that's sort of going on. There's like a phony war going on there at the moment, or a not so phony war. The other problem I think Fin that, that that they have is that. You know, they they look at the experience back in two thousand and six or seven when there was when Richard Bruton tried the heave against Enda and lost. And I think there's a reticence there to have a heave, particularly, and um, and that's a problem. I think the other thing about Enda hanging around till the poke comes in twenty eighteen. I think personally, he'd love to be still around. Um, I wouldn't bet on him not being around. Actually, I I don't know. I, I think the difficulty for for Leo and Simon Coveney, and and anyone else interested in this, is the longer this thing goes on, the more we all get sick of it. And I think if they're going to do something, they should do it and do it quickly or put up and shut up and and let Enda pick his date. And I think if Enda's left to his own devices and left to pick a date, he will invariably go for sometime in Christmas 2018. And I don't know if the lads want that. Um, But I think they either need to get on with it or get over it. Um, I think that's kind of the point really isn't it and but it'll be interesting to see i mean end is a end is a end is a wily old fella like he's been around now as leader of Gael since 2002 he's seen off the heaves he's won well he hasn't won two elections but he's certainly won one election and and not lost another one Um. And he's he's one of Fine Gael's most successful politicians ever. I think in living memory, I think he's probably the most successful politician, with the exception of Gareth Fitzgerald. He's certainly more successful than Alan Jukes, he's certainly more successful than Michael Noonan, he's certainly more successful than John Bruton, who was Taoiseach um, and led a rainbow coalition for three years, and has been around and he's been he's been the Taoiseach for seven. He's been the leader for what, seven, fifteen nearly now. Um and I, I, I think it's a foolish thing to write them off. I think it's foolish to say, Leo's here, Leo, win, or Simon Coveney. And both of them are very, very competent. Um, I think for them, they need to decide or, or, or not do anything. They need to either back or sack. Um, and I don't know if there's the support for that.
0: I also think a big problem that we have at the moment is the ineffective nature of this uh, confidence in supply arrangement with Fianna Fáil, fall. I think it's pretty clear from anyone who's looking at what's going on day to day in the DOL that business isn't being done, and I think that's a problem for the average person. I think you know we all know anyone who follows politics knows that you know this is essentially a a, a kind of a caretaker government. Nothing is re- no real serious legislation is going to go through. And um, you've got the hard left and, and Sinn Fein snapping at their heels the whole time. Um, it's very very difficult. And I think you know what's in what's in the best interest of the people at this stage in my opinion is probably to look at an election sooner rather than later and if I was a Fianna Gael member I would definitely be looking for some fresh leadership before we go into that election and I think it's a big big problem uh, to go in with the same sort of relics of the past I think we do need to an extent a bit of a clear out and I think while Fianna Fianna Fáil are slightly weaker I think it might ne- not necessarily be a bad idea. I mean, I think the thought was that Fianna Fáil were just going to continue to grow and grow in popularity, and I think um, what we've seen over the last while is that it, maybe they haven't sort of swept away on this wave of popularity that people thought they were going to, and maybe with a bit of new bit of new blood. And, 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 you know, I think that might not be a bad thing. And I wonder, I mean, I don't know, because it's easy for me to say from sort of South Dublin um, that, you know, the Pope coming in in August 2018 isn't that big of a deal. I wonder, like, is it a big deal? I mean, maybe if you I'll go around the country and ask, it's a huge deal, but I just don't think it's 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 worth holding up the c- country for another year on the basis that, you know, the Pope is coming. Like, let's face it, you know, what has the Pope done for us in the last 50 years, really?
1: Yeah, I, well, I, I agree, but I, I, I think, to be honest with you, for a lot of people that vote, the Pope coming is a big deal. Um, and actually, I think for Enda, the Pope coming is a big deal. I think Enda, Enda would like to be there for the Pope coming. And... Um, you know, look, I, I, I personally think that I, I think the lads need to move now, and I don't think they will. To be honest, I, I would be surprised. I think I would be actually surprised. I think before before we move on, before we move on from being Gail, I, I want to just talk about Willie o for a second because Willie or uh, Leo Verakker. Well, actually, Leo didn't announce it. Already, he announced it. But Leo Verakker is doing a a slot over Christmas on some late-night music radio show. It goes from 11.15 to 2 a.m. God help us all listen to Leo spin some discs. But anyway, he is on the 27th of December. And Willie O D took the opportunity to put out a press statement to sort of having a bit of a pop-up and telling us all he was a part-time politician, full-time political commentator, which is probably not sort of wildly untrue. Um, and a little bit of a spat in- entailed on, on Twitter. Leo replied to Willie's... Uh, to Willie's press statement by telling Willie to chill and everyone sort of descended into a, a sort of twitter frenzy of this this battle um but I think I I suspect Willie just wanted it was a quiet friday and Willie wanted a bit of publicity and <laughs> it's worked brilliantly so um next up I think we we're going to have a chat about um our, our f- one of our favorite topics here and and something very close to Dan's heart he's a, uh, Well-known, uh, very very diligent and dedicated union member. He's a, he pays his dues on time every year. Turns up to the AGM. Sort of wears red underpants secretly. We're talking about the Asti row, um, and uh, again, the unions deciding that while some people are while well, we're all equal, some people are more equal than others.
0: Yeah, well, it's in the the Sunday Independent today that. Um a meeting happened earlier in the week, uh, and it'll be recommended that they reject uh, a pay deal. Which, of course, it just continues the pain essentially for for everyone involved. And I feel sorry for a lot of ordinary teachers who are just wanna just wanna do their job. Um, I think they've made a huge mistake in how the ASTI has has gone essentially. And um, it's become very militant. It's you know I think I just think they massively mistimed their run in terms of making uh, just you know going after strike action. I think they massively misjudged the mood of the people, the fact that I mean it's actually almost the the, the counterpoint to the let's keep the recovery going disaster from Feena Gael. You know this idea that oh well you know everyone's doing so well again that um, that all of a sudden you know the teachers and whoever else the guards and and all all the other public servants all of a sudden need this kind of pay restoration. Well, I mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, we certainly haven't restored our pay. We certainly haven't, you know, and and I suppose for people who don't know, we run a small business together. We certainly haven't... uh, you know, seeing some, like this, this idea that, oh, well, the private sector is, is creaming off profits again. I mean, trust me, just because Facebook is making money and Google is making money and maybe the Kerry Group are making money, you know, the, the average small business in Ireland is really, really to the pin of their collar. And I think it just pisses people off when, you know, when, 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 when public servants come in and they say, oh, well, you know, I, my, I'm down 15% or 20% or whatever it is with the with the pension cuts and, and, you know, I need this to be restored. Well, I mean, like, we all need an extra 20%. But, you know, it just doesn't make sense to to, to strike unsustainable pay deals. I mean, it's like the housing crisis. We're just f- walking like lemmings over the cliff again into the same things that went wrong. It's the same parish pump politics that just, oh, usher sure, pay off the teachers, pay off the guards, pay off the nurses. Like, I would love to pay all these people as much money as we possibly can. But borrowing money to pay off the unions just doesn't make sense it's going to get us into an unsustainable position and it's going to get us back to where we were in the first place which is which is crippled and having to take money away and take you know cut cut pensions and all these things because we just don't have the cash and it just doesn't make sense at such a precarious time i mean can you think of a more precarious time with trump in the white house with you know Brexit happening, there's so much you know insecurity across everything. It's just we don't know what's going to happen. Italy looks like it's going the wrong way. You know we Marine Le Pen coming up in France. It's just it's a crazy time to be to be mortgaging the future of the country um for a huge deal just to keep the unions quiet and like speaking of Bertie Ahern I mean Bertie made a career out of keeping the keeping the unions on side and just paying them off and you know keeping local politicians happy building airports in stupid rural areas that we just don't need an airport in a tiny little island like all these stupid structural decisions based on based on just you know politicking it's just crazy stuff and, and as I say, I've, I've loads of time for all the front line. I mean, you know, nurses, teachers, everything. They, they all do an incredible job. But having said that, you know, this idea that we can all just kind of kick up every five or seven years and get an increase, and, like, nobody gets to say, well, are you doing a good job? You know, what's going on? Is there, like it's just crazy that you can, like, this, this mindset, and it is, ver- it is very much a mindset, that, you know, well, if I just sit here, I'm entitled, it's an entitlement thing, I'm entitled to an extra X percent every year, and nobody gets to say, well, are you doing a good job, you know, and, and I mean, that's all relative, like, obviously, if you're in a, a school with students that are struggling, y- you know, you shouldn't be held up to the same standards as some, you know, private school that, you know, stream classes and that have, you know, very intelligent kids in the class, but there has to be some objective way of saying, like well are you a crap teacher and if you are you have to improve or or, or, or out you go and this business of just you know oh well i'm just going to get a blanket eh, whatever percentage increase they, they end up getting it, it's it's just it's not realistic and it's only going to cause us massive structural trouble in the long term
1: yeah and I, think, I think
0: i think you know i think you know, unions will do what unions do but i
1: think you know there needs to be a, stru- a fairly robust response from the government and there seems to be this notion i think that you know oh strikes must be avoided, so we just capitulate before the strike arrives and um, which i don 't agree with I say I'm wrong with a few strikes. let them have a few strikes because there's no, there's nothing to soften people 's coughs, so i don't think they're not getting paid for a couple of weeks and then we'll see how how interested they are in having a proper discussion i think speaking speaking of proper discussions there's been a very interesting case going on in the High Court this week. Dennis O 'Brien is taking an action against the DAW and the DAW committee and um, saying that his uh, rights to privacy have been trampled by the Dáil in allowing and not censuring two deputies, Pierce Doherty of Sinn Féin and the in, or not the Independent, the so- Social Democrat TD, Catherine Murphy, um, who made comments about his banking details. And Dennis is, pr- Dennis is arguing that the two deputies stole his banking details or received... St- sorry, th- he's not arguing that. He's arguing that they received his stolen banking details. Um and read them into the doll record and that he was trying to get an injunction to stop RTE from publishing these, this information and that his action to protect his privacy was completely undone by the doll, who went and and the these two in his view reckless deputies went and read his banking details into the record it's a very very interesting case because it, it would lay down a marker in terms of what TDs can and can't say um, and obviously doll what you say in the doll is privileged, you can't be sued for it. Um, But this would sort of change that slightly. Um, So it's a very, very interesting case. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be looking at it. There's there's various different views. I think, personally speaking, I think nobody would sort of dispute um, that they wouldn't particularly like their banking affairs or their medical affairs or their, I don't know, maybe... Things like psychological reports being written into the doll record—I certainly wouldn't like any of my medical records being available to be read out, effectively on national television, which is where the doll is at the moment. Um, and I think that has to be balanced with: well, should the doll be able to sort of pursue important issues? Um, I, and I think it's—it's it's, it's an interesting case. I think you know. Um, personally i I would agree with Dennis O'Brien that you know his his banking details shouldn't be a matter of public record um but having said that he is involved in companies and transactions that are of, that have become national of national importance um and whether we like it or not he bought for example he bought that the company siteserve um and that has become a national issue. Now I think it it shouldn't be a national issue. I don't I don't see what the problem is. But Dennis is taking this action. And um, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Um, invariably it'll 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 get ruled on and then get appealed to the Supreme Court, irrespective of what ha- what the outcome is. So they're going to ultimately decide it. But it'll be interesting to see what happens.
0: Yeah, I mean, I suppose th- there's a there's there's something quite interesting at play here, which is you know, when somebody takes an action like this and, and says, look, I'm, I'm going to stand up and protect my right to privacy, just because we don't, as a country, you know, he's one of those sort of figures like Michael O'Leary and like, you know, a bunch of other people. I think it's no coincidence that they're all people who've been very successful financially who it's sort of, the, 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 it's sort of de rigueur to, you know, hate them and not like them and maybe begrudge them. And I don't think just because, as a nation, the sentiment is, old oh, Dennis O'Brien is some kind of ogre that we don't like, well, then we can say, well, you know, fuck him, let's, you know let let's publish his personal information i mean it, it's a slippery slope because as you say you know if you publish Dennis O'Brien's personal banking information and whatever else well then everyone else is on the block then everyone else can be can have their information published and you know i saw an interesting article as well in the um, in in the sunday independent where you know they were having a moan about um Michael O'Leary spending or not Michael O'Leary sorry Michael Noonan spending over 100 grand last year on uh, on, on his two drivers including their their annual salary and their expenses, but they published the two names of those men who drive them around. They publish their salary, their pension details, or their or their um, their expenses details rather. And I just felt, kind of, when I was reading it, as much as it is a story of, of national interest, how much Michael Noonan is spending, I thought to publish those two uh, gentlemen's names and their salary, and, like, I mean, I wouldn't want my salary and my, you know, my expenses uh, necessarily just published for everyone to see. And part of me kind of says, you know, taking pops like that, like, this business of, you know, oh, well, Michael Noonan spends X amount on coffees every year. Well, like, I mean, for fuck's sake, like, he's the Minister for Finance. Like, you know, are, are, we, are, like, are we supposed to put him on the 46A, like... I mean, at some point you have to say, you know, and, and again, there's a there's a there's a, a group in society here who just want to just shit on everyone who's doing well, and oh, if you're a minister, well, you know, why are we paying? And this this kind of, you know, the gas thing is, it's all this kind of spending my tax money. Well, I mean, most people that use that line probably pay, you know, no tax, no tax at all. So I mean, it's it's just it's 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 one of those it's one of those things, and I I feel like you know we're probably at. We're probably at peak populism at the moment, or hopefully we are uh, where we're, you know it's, it's, uh, it's, it's fashionable just to you know throw stones at everyone, and anyone who's doing anything just needs to be shot down and I think at some point like there needs to be a r- bit of reverence for like i'm not saying you shouldn't question people, but this business of going after their what they're wearing who the, who's driving them I'm like come on like we're, we're trying to run a country here, and I think if you look at any other country, there has to be a like it's a minister for finance is a major major portfolio. ...on a national scale and, and it has to be treated with some level of respect... ...whether you agree with the guy who's in the position or not.
1: Yeah and I think, I, I think the, the key point here is that... ...if we go down this road of, of tackling, tackling guys... ...for getting good terms and conditions in their jobs... ...they're just not going to go into politics. Because you can go and get a job in the private sector... ...Michael Lunan could arguably get a job in the private sector... get paid an awful lot more for doing an awful lot less... And not if anyone, quest talking about his drivers or how much he spends on coffee or any of that kind of stuff. And and the point of that and the problem with that is that if you're the younger generation looking in, you'll say, I don't want to be a politician. I have no interest in being a politician. And then what happens is we end up with headbangers in in, in the doll and you end up with the Healy Rays and uh, Matty McGrath and, God help us, Mick Wallace, running around the doll saying, oh you know we're we're running the country that's the problem
0: and you know as far as i'm concerned look attack his his policy like this is what i'd say you know for anyone you talk about young people you know looking at politics i mean there needs to be this this idea that you know attack his policy pick apart his policy offer your opinion on what you think should be done in terms of the fiscal policy of this state contribute something don't just shit on the guys you know what he's wearing what he's driving what his car is like it's just it's such a cheap way of of going after somebody it's just irrelevant it's completely irrelevant to what he does and i think you know while i defend my dying day that you should be able to question his um his decisions and his policy you know come on we we just we don't need i just don't think it's helpful um and again, it it goes back a little bit to the Dennis O'Brien thing. There's people with this blind spot where they decide because he's like the sort of Mr. Burns character in the big house up on the hill, we're going to have a go at him. And you know, if we have to, if we have to drag his civil liberties through the mud while we're doing it, um, well, so be it. And that's, as I say, it's all fine and well until that descends and the average guy in the street starts having his civil liberties trampled on. And then all of a sudden, people will be up crying, saying, "Well, why was this allowed to happen?" Um, so I think what you know, my general th- um, kind of thesis for this week is, you know, we all just need to maybe question some of the things a little bit more, in a little bit more of a deep uh, and meaningful fashion. When you know, when we knock somebody, or when you know something's up in court, I think we need to think more than just, "Do I like this guy or not?" You know, you need to think, "Well, do I agree fundamentally with, with what's been said?" Yeah, I
1: think. I th- yeah, I think. Absolutely, and I think it's you know we need sort of some sort of proper proper debate and discussion instead of just general populism. But I think I think the final thing we want to talk about, Dan, you want to talk about whiskey,
0: and not in the context of last night. Yeah, exactly. And um, well, this morning's whiskey talk is uh, is is on the front page of the of the Sunday Independent business section, and um, where apparently a new strategy has been aimed at promoting Ireland as a big tourist destination for whiskey. Now I know. Um, my, my own whiskey drinking uh, really only extends to a, a fairly cheap bottle of jemmy but apparently craft whiskey is a huge thing now in ireland and, and internationally and there, there's talk of trying to uh, well there's an wh- irish whiskey association which i've never heard of but apparently um, the annual whiskey exports are valued at around 410 million uh, euro which is obviously a huge market what they're calling for is to market an irish whiskey trail which would be along the lines of the the wild atlantic way or the ancient east basically a, a sort of a shakedown operation to get the yanks in paying loads of money for for fancy whiskey but at the end of the day anything that brings in money and tourism has to be uh, has to be applauded yeah i think this is a great idea i think i think a whiskey
1: trail would be a brilliant idea there's lots of there's there's a number of distilleries after popping up some of them in dublin we've opened down in the in the in the teeling distillery uh in dublin city centre it's a phenomenal spot and um, there's also the Dingle Distillery down in Dingle and a few other places. And I think actually a whiskey a whiskey trail and trying to get people going around visiting distilleries and seeing the country is a great idea. Because while the Wild Atlantic Way has been wildly successful, no one's got a bull's notion what the ancient east is all about. I certainly have no clue. And God help any American turning up saying, where is this ancient east? Walking out of Dublin airport saying, are we in it or not? So I think this is a great idea. I think they should run with it. Um, and if we can, like, I mean... Irish whiskey, both in price and volume, lags behind Scotch whiskey considerably. I think that's something that we could change. Our whiskey is as good, if not better, as the Scottish gear and I think that's something that, that 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 is worth pursuing um vigorously. There's been a lot of money spent on developing some of these distilleries, getting the whiskey ready. Um, I, actually, I actually have not only heard of the Irish Whiskey Association but I've actually been to one of their meetings uh, they did a, a whiskey talk in the Gresham Hotel about two years ago that I was at, you paid 20 quid in, you got to try nine whiskies and sadly for us all there, the fellow doing the talk also tried the nine whiskies so it got very interesting towards the end <laughs> but that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of clever tourism that we need to pursue, we can't, we can't compete with buckets and spades because it pisses rain here all the time, we can't just rely people turn up saying always oh, aren't the green fields phenomenal because they're just green fields we need to box clever and i think whiskey's the way we can do that
0: yeah i'd agree with that and i think uh, we need to learn some lessons from uh, from our friends in the web summit that when we do get all these people in that we don't end up uh, you know making stupid parochial decisions that mean you know uh i suppose scotland or someone else ends up taking our uh taking our lunch on that front i think we need a bit a bit of joined up thinking and, and a bit of a plan in place and there's no doubt you know as many of these things as we can do i mean remember the uh, the gathering i mean everyone took the piss out of the gathering but the amount of people it brought in was ridiculous, the amount of money. And, and I think the more of those initiatives we have, the better. But they need to be, they need to be joined up, they need to be done properly. Um, and I think you know, I think we can, we can do really well. But they're the type of things that are going to get us back. And, and you know in, in light of Brexit and all these challenges that we have in terms of exporting, I think bringing people into the country and getting them to spend their hard-earned in Ireland is, is a major way forward.
1: Yeah, I think, and actually, I, I, was, I was a big fan of the gathering. I thought the gathering was a great idea. And I remember, I think it was it Liam Neeson got up on his high horse and, oh, it's a shakedown. Like, when was tourism anything other than a shakedown? Tourism has always been a shakedown. You bring people in, you charge them money, you provide them with a service, and if they're happy, they come back. Gabriel Byrne. Sorry, no, it wasn't Liam Neeson. Apologies to Liam Neeson. It was Gabriel Byrne. He got very upset. Oh, it's, it's a shakedown. This is terrible. Well, like no one ever said, "Oh, free trips to Ireland, and we put you up while we're here." It just doesn't happen, and um, and I think you know tourism in Ireland is 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 somewhat Dublin centric, and um, and I think any effort to make it less Dublin centric is a good thing, and um, I think the Angelies ain't gonna ain't gonna happen, and um, so I think uh, whiskey's whiskey's the way to go, and um, so that's that's my view on that.
0: One last thing, I just wanted to have a chat about before we go is uh, another article that i saw and this is sort of a bugbear of ours and i, I wanted to ask you being the uh, the, the mortgage and lending guru and um, what you think there's an article again in the in the in the sunday independent it's basically saying that people are gonna have to be very careful now taking out long-term mortgages in their older age ie in their sort of mid 30s to mid 40s on the basis that you know they're going to be still paying off these huge mortgages into their 70s it's going to really affect their their standard of life i mean the idea of retiring early now is just is just off the table even the the idea of retiring at a normal age of 65 is 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 becoming out of the question and the fact that we've a pensions crisis and this is something that you know for guys in our in our late 20s we keep kind of banging on this drum that people just people our age just don't really seem to appreciate the fact that if you're in your late 20s early 30s mid 30s and you haven't provided for yourself and you've you know you've just no idea what you're going to do when you're older and you're looking back at your parents maybe and saying, oh, well, you know, they got a pension and they're okay you know I think people are I don't know whether they don't realise or whether they just don't care or whether they're just putting their head in the sand that the whole you know defined benefit defined contribution thing has changed and it the game has changed completely and I don't think people understand that you know poverty in their old age and just massive debt problems in their old age it's its what's coming down the track of them and I think as I say there is an awful lot of head in the sand mentality and I think to Leo Varadkar to speak of him again you know to be fair has, has mooted the idea of a you know a workplace pension and some kind of mandatory pension i think something needs to be done there massively because if people don't realize that i think i think people just you know take out these 30 year uh, mortgages on the basis that look you know what'll happen in 30 years I'll, I'll worry about it then or the idea that you know my property will will appreciate in value to the point that you know, it's 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 not it's going to be a non-issue by the time it may be in my early sixties. This is a huge problem, and this thinking is really going to again lead us off a cliff. So, what 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 do you make of that? What do you think people should be doing now if they're maybe in their late twenties or early thirties, looking at a mortgage?
1: Yeah, I think I think we're all going like the reality is we're all going to be working longer. And um, I, I think some of us need to get away from this idea that we're going to own a house. It's just not going to happen. Um, and I think if you are if you are working and you have some disposable income, you should. Start thinking about what you're going to do when you retire. Because, like, the reality is, is the state is, by the time any of us get to 65 or 70, the state's going to stop paying. There's just, there'll be too many of us, so they'll stop. It'll be it'll be everyone for themselves. And the peop- the, the reality is that by the time it comes to retirement age, Maria yeah, 65, which we all currently think of retirement age, the only people that are going to be able to retire are people that have prepared for it. And this idea that you'll come to 65, that's great, pension will, ca- you'll, you'll, Turn up with the post office, collect your check every week. I think that uh, that idea is bogus. Um, and I think we need to be I think people need to if you're I think if you're in your late twenties, early thirties, and you haven't started providing for a retirement, you either need to accept the fact that you're not going to be retiring at sixty-five and get on with it, and be prepared to work till you're knocking eighty, or do something about it. And the way you do something about it is you start paying into a pension. Very simple.
0: So on that sobering note, I think we'll leave it there for this week. Um, that was episode five of My Money, My Career. Uh, we'll be back next Sunday with the same um, rundown of the week. And we might even get into a little bit more career stuff next week because I think we've been more money and less career so far. Um, but I hope you're enjoying what you're what you're hearing. If you are, please subscribe. Um, and you can get me at underscore my DFI on Twitter. And you can get me at at Stephen C-U-R. Thanks, Thanks guys.